This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus and recentering. Today on Finding Center, we'll bring you a rebroadcast of the First Presidency Christmas devotional from 2019. We'll hear from leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with music from the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather with you and reflect upon the birth, life, and mission of our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. President Russell M. Nelson, who presides this evening, has asked me to conduct this devotional. The music for this devotional will be provided by the Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra at Temple Square under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy with Richard Elliott at the organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing, O Come, All Ye Faithful.
choir will now favor us with For Unto Us a Child is Born. After the singing, we will be pleased to hear from Sister Joy D. Jones, who serves as primary general president, and then from Elder Patrick Kieran of the Presidency of the Seventy. Following Elder Kieran's remarks, the choir will sing, Christmas bells are ringing. Hail the Savior's birth. Elder Ulysses Juarez of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles will then address us.
One year, about three days before a childhood Christmas, my husband Rob discovered two of his older sisters in their bedroom, secretly unwrapping two of their Christmas presents. Then, after they had peeked inside, his sisters rewrapped their gifts. Rob's sisters told him, If you don't tell Mom, we'll show you how to do it. <laughs> he ultimately gave in to the temptation, especially since there was a basketball-sized package under the Christmas tree with his name on it. However, the gift felt oddly light when he secretly carried it up to his bedroom. He carefully opened it and found it empty, except for a note. The note read, I know what you're doing. <laughs> Don't spoil your Christmas. Love, Mom. He learned his lesson, and that was the end of the great Christmas gift-peaking caper. Consider your memories, the beautiful sights, the angelic sounds, and the unforgettable smells that come to mind when you think of Christmas. Even more tender are the memories many of us carry in our hearts from childhood of the holiness of Christmas, the celebration of our Savior's birth. Those sacred feelings never leave us. We feel them every time we reflect on that little Bethlehem manger where so many prophecies over centuries all came together under a starry night sky when our Redeemer and Savior was brought into the world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We often hear that Christmas is for children, and aren't we all children at heart? One day, a mother and her nine-year-old daughter were busily Christmas shopping. As they rushed through a department store jewelry section, the daughter noticed an enormous banner hanging over a display case. In large red letters, the banner proclaimed, The Gift That Never Stops Giving. The daughter read the sign, contemplated it for a moment, and then smiled. She proudly told her mother, Mom, I know what the gift is that never stops giving. Oh, what? her mother asked as they quickly moved through the crowd. The daughter innocently announced, It's Jesus. Her mother erroneously responded, no, sweetheart, it's diamonds. <laughs> Isaiah reminds us, and a little child shall lead them. Using one internet search engine, I found thousands of items advertised with the phrase, the gift that never stops giving. Yet try as we may, no material gift that we give will last forever. In contrast, let me share with you one of my tender Christmas memories of two individuals who, I believe, never stopped giving. They were my parents, Aldo and Eleanor Harmon. It was a snowy winter in our little town that year, but that didn't stop my dad from taking our family to search for the perfect Christmas tree. Once the tree was home and secured in the tree stand, the bubble lights, angel ornaments, and tinsel were lovingly placed on the boughs. Our humble home was officially ready for Christmas to begin. 
The toy catalogs arrived in the mail, and my siblings and I excitedly turned the pages, wishing for Christmas treasures. The scent of gingerbread and fruitcake filled our home, and December slowly inched away on the Advent calendar. We left surprises on the doorsteps of neighbors and tried to serve families who were in need of a bit of Christmas cheer. Each night, after I went to bed, my mother spent an excessive amount of time secluded in her bedroom. All I could hear was the sound of her sewing machine. She sewed so much of our clothing anyway that I didn't think much about it. But as Christmas neared, my mother was completely exhausted. She was sick in bed the day before Christmas. When the doctor told my father that she would have to stay in bed for at least a week, I was worried, but also very disappointed. How could Christmas go on without Mom? How could it even feel like Christmas? And besides, who would cook Christmas dinner? As my father lovingly cared for my mother, he realized the task of cooking Christmas dinner fell upon him. Again, I was worried. <laughs> Though a very wise and gifted man, cooking was not something he had mastered. Christmas Eve found me on my knees praying that my mother would be miraculously healed and that Christmas morning would be as it had always been, our family gathered around the Christmas tree. Disappointment washed over us all Christmas morning as we found our dear mother still very sick in bed. As we opened our gifts, I was surprised to find that my special present was an assortment of handmade doll clothing that my mother had been sewing for me during those many late nights of December. I couldn't wait to run to her and throw my arms around her neck, how she had sacrificed for me. Dear Daddy, he tried every way possible to make Christmas Day feel normal that year, as normal as it could be without Mom, and he succeeded. After our simple meal, my sweet dad fell asleep in the chair next to the fireplace as I played with my siblings and my doll and her new clothes. My dearest mother recovered after much rest, and all was well. But in my life, my parents were to me a gift that never stopped giving. Let's consider that phrase for a moment. Wouldn't a gift that never stops giving be considered a perfect gift? First, a perfect gift would reveal something about the giver of the gift. Second, it would reflect something about the needs of the person receiving the gift. And finally, the gift, if it was really the perfect gift, would hold its value not just as time goes on, but forever. Doesn't our beloved Savior, even the Savior of the world, meet these three requirements? Does the gift of Jesus Christ's birth, ministry, and atoning sacrifice reveal something about the giver of the gift? Of course. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Our Father in Heaven sacrificed His Son out of pure love for us, His children. 
Does the gift of Jesus Christ demonstrate that our Heavenly Father knew exactly what we needed? Again, an emphatic yes. We are fallen by nature, and we desperately need a Savior and Redeemer. As Nephi taught, Jesus Christ doeth not anything save it be for the benefit of the world, for he loveth the world. And the final requirement for the perfect gift? It must hold its value forever. The Book of Mormon clearly teaches us that the Atonement of Jesus Christ is infinite and eternal. Remember the Jewelry Department banner? That young girl knew intuitively what the true gift is. In this darkened world, we look beyond jewels to the light of the world. The Savior himself taught, Therefore, hold up your light that it may shine unto the world. Behold, I am the light which ye shall hold up. I am the light which shineth in darkness. I testify that Jesus Christ is the perfect gift, the gift that never stops giving. May we all hold that truth in our hearts this Christmas and forever. He lives in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, too, love this time of year when we gather as families and loved ones to remember the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ and give thanks for his life and his infinite atoning sacrifice. I love the countless reminders of this special season all around and can still feel the excitement and anticipation of Christmases from my childhood, whether they were in a chilly England or a sweltering Arabia. Probably like many others, last week I wrestled with the Christmas lights, struggling to find the one bulb that was causing a whole string to go dark. When the bulb was finally found and replaced, All the lights came on, and there was that relief and delight that comes from such a minor triumph. One of my favorite things to do as Christmas approaches is to sit by our Christmas tree with all of the other lights off and let my vision go blurry as I look at the tree covered in tiny white lights. With my eyes out of focus, The glow of each individual light expands and softens as it reflects off the shiny red ornaments. The effect is enchanting. We often have music in the background proclaiming joy to the world, the Lord is come, and that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As my eyes let the lights move in and out of focus on the tree, I am reminded once again of the divine mission of our Savior, which comes sharply into focus in these still moments. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I ponder the holy night that he was born filled with gratitude for the Father's gift of joy, hope, and love sent to the earth in his only begotten Son. These kinds of quiet moments of meditation and reflection can be all too rare for us in the build-up to the Christmas day. 
December brings with it parties and concerts, gatherings and gifts, schedules fill up, and sometimes the expectations we impose upon ourselves actually take away from the joy of the season rather than magnifying it. So, President Nelson's teaching is vital. The joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. When the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of him. He is the source of all joy. Close quotation. This is the perfect occasion for us to prayerfully consider our focus. What are your hopes for this Christmas season? What are your sincere desires for yourself and your loved ones as you gather together for this most holy of holy days? In two and a half weeks, Christmas Day will be here. Consider what you have on your calendar for the next two and a half weeks. You may feel overwhelmed by too many commitments and all that you have to do. Is your schedule too packed? Are certain cultural traditions and pressures causing you undue stress and preventing you from receiving and reflecting the joy of Christ's birth? How might you simplify your calendar this Christmas and plan better for next? We must be careful not to be so busy and tired from trying to do too much that we miss the focus of the season and are unable to figuratively kneel at the manger, worship the newborn king, and bring our own personal gift to him. Young mothers, and all of us, are you overwhelmed? Where is your focus? Perhaps this year you don't send those Christmas cards or you let go of some other perhaps media-inspired expectation you have of yourself. The cost in either time or money will take away some of your ability to focus on the Savior and feel his Christmas joy. Young fathers and the rest of us, where is your focus? Perhaps this year you have a simplified Christmas with more homemade gifts and gifts of service because the pressure and cost of trying to buy it all is just too great and unnecessary and it will take away some of your ability to focus on the Savior and feel his Christmas peace. Temple service at Christmas time can be especially meaningful. The temple corrects our focus magnifies our joy and unites families here and on the other side of the veil. Consider temple service instead of another Christmas activity that may not help you in your longing for Christmas stillness. Those holy ordinances, the peace and priesthood power they hold for all who cherish them, are only made possible because of the only begotten Son of the Father, this Lamb slain from the foundation of the world whose birth we now celebrate. As this Christmas approaches, let us do more of what matters and much less of what doesn't. Let us seek to do the works of Jesus of Nazareth. Lift up the sorrowing, 
heal the brokenhearted, visit the prisoners, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and give voice to the voiceless, the marginalized, the forgotten, and the despised. For those of you in crisis this Christmas, may you find the Savior's gift of love that is uniquely for you. Many are at this moment in the throes of losing loved ones to disease, old age, or some other awful accident. Many are remembering past losses that occurred at Christmas time, and this will be a painful anniversary for you. Some are mourning the choices their loved ones are making at the moment. Others are lonely, without family, experiencing turmoil, or for whatever reason, face a very different Christmas to the ones they have celebrated in the past. Believe that there is a particular gift in this season for you. Seek for quiet, solitary moments when you can ponder, pray, and feel the loving kindness of the one whose birth makes any joy in any life possible. The promise is that one day there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Take time to be still, to breathe, to wonder, look up, focus in on his great gift, the knowledge of who you truly are, and the understanding that trials here are fleeting, and that joy here is just the beginning of joy to come. Remember, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. And now I would commend you to seek this Jesus of whom the prophets and apostles have written, that the grace of God the Father and also the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of them, may be and abide in you forever, that we might say, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. O come, let us adore him. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Good evening, my dear brothers and sisters. I feel blessed for the opportunity to address you tonight as we celebrate the most glorious event of human history, the coming of God's Son into the world. Christ's birth, life, and atonement are Heavenly Father's gift to all of us. As we celebrate the Savior's birth at this joyous time of the year, God's continuing and endless love seems to permeate our souls more abundantly, helping us to turn our hearts to our family, friends, and neighbors, and helps us to be more sensitive to those who may be feeling alone, lonely, or are in need of comfort and peace. I have always been impressed that in its telling of events surrounding the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of Luke share several examples of comfort and peace being provided to those who had found themselves in these circumstances. Such examples can be seen when our Heavenly Father sent His angels to visit the socially isolated shepherds during the night to announce the birth of His Son, and when the shepherds, in turn, visited Mary and Joseph, who were caring for a newborn baby far from their home in Galilee. Joseph and Mary's long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered for the text was not a mere coincidence, because for centuries it has been prophesied by ancient prophets that the Savior of the world would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. We see that our Heavenly Father was very much aware of and involved in every detail surrounding the birth of His only begotten Son. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. As I think about the social circumstances of the shepherds and the young couple Mary and Joseph, I wonder how the appearance of the angelic host to the shepherds in the fields and the arrival of the shepherds to where Mary and Joseph were staying brought into their individuals' lives comfort, peace, and joy. For the shepherds, the angels may have brought the needed comfort that God was aware of them and saw value in them as the chosen first witnesses of the newborn Lamb of God. For Mary and Joseph, the shepherds may have brought much-needed comfort that others knew of the divine miracle that they were a part of. Certainly, among us are modern shepherds, men and women, who labor late into the night at early morning to make a living. Some of these modern shepherds may include security guards, hospital and emergency personnel, all-night convenience store and gas station employees, and news broadcasting teams. Sometimes those working a night shift may feel isolated from social interactions with those who typically work during regular work days. In addition to that, there are also modern Josephs and Marys who have moved away from their homeland and who are trying to adjust to a new life as they celebrate important days like Christmas, birthdays, marriages, and deaths. As we approach Christmas, I wonder if we could become more like the angelic host by visiting modern shepherds 
to provide the good news of Christ, peace and comfort. And I wonder if we can become more like the shepherds by responding to the call to visit and minister to the modern Josephs and Marys in our neighborhoods and communities to provide reassurance that God loves them and is watching and caring for them. My family and I have experienced for ourselves on several different occasions the feelings of comfort and peace that a modern-day angelic host can bring. Tonight, I would like to reflect on one of those occasions. In 2003, we moved away from our home country to Utah. That winter, we had one of the biggest snowstorms Utah had had for several years. We had never seen anything like that in our lives, as we were raised among palm trees and sandy beaches in Brazil. Our home was located on a corner on a hill in Bountiful that had a very long sidewalk. When the snow started, my wife courageously started snowblowing the driveway and sidewalks because I had slipped on ice and broke my wrist a few days before as I walked up a driveway to visit one of our neighbors. That accident resulted in a surgery and a large cast on my arm for a couple of months. As she started snowblowing the area for the first time in her life, my dear wife had no clue that she had to change the direction of the chute after cleaning one side of the driveway. So when she went to the other side of to clean, that was where the chute directed the snow. Back and forth she went to no avail. What a mess! Because of her prolonged exposure to cold, she got a double ear infection and was almost completely deaf for two months. At the same time, my 16-year-old boy injured his back while he was sledding and had to stay in bed so his injury could heal. So there we were, one bedridden, one death, one in a cast, and all freezing. I am sure we were quite a sight for our neighbors. One of those early frigid mornings at about 5 a.m., I woke up to the sound of a snowblower outside my window. I looked out the window and I saw my neighbor from across the street, Brother Blaine Williams, who is in attendance tonight accompanied by his sweet wife, Peggy, at nearly 70 years of age. He had left his warm and comfortable home and quietly came and cleaned up our driveway and sidewalk, knowing that we were not able to do it ourselves. And just as he came in his quiet and simple way, another friend, Brother Daniel Almeida, showed up at our home to drive me down to Salt Lake for work, as I could not drive with my very cumbersome cast. They kindly and quietly were there for me every morning until my family healed and we were again able to do things by ourselves. During that cold Christmas season of 2003, these angelic brothers were sent to us just as the ministering angels were sent to the lowly shepherds of old. These two brothers followed our Savior's example and thought of our needs before 
they thought of their own. Dear brothers and sisters, the Savior's life was the perfect example of love and goodwill toward men. He always forgot himself in behalf of others. His selfless acts were expressed in all he did every day of his life and were not limited to a specific season or holiday. As we turn our hearts outward, like the Savior did, I promise that we can better experience the meaning of Christmas. As we do so, I can assure you that we will find limitless opportunities to give of ourselves quietly and kindly to people who need us. This will help us to come to know the Savior better and find for ourselves peace on earth and goodwill toward men, which will in great measure determine the love, peace, and renewed strength that we can feel and share toward others. As we follow the Savior's footsteps, may we ever listen for the sound of the sandaled feet and reach out for the carpenter's steady hand. As we search for the Savior in all you do, Christmas won't be just a day or a season, but will be a condition of heart and mind, and the joy and love felt at Christmas will always be near. I testify that Jesus Christ, the infant born in Bethlehem, is in fact the Savior and Redeemer of the world. Merry Christmas to all of you. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we enter into this beautiful season, we pray that each of you may be blessed to experience the peace and hope that is manifest through the redeeming love of our Savior. The choir will now favor us with Away in a Manger. Our concluding speaker for the devotional will be President Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the First Presidency.
At this Christmas season, the whole Christian world celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We all rejoice at the angel's announcement of that birth. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. A good illustration of the way Christians honor the Savior are the words Charles Dickens wrote for his own children. My dear children, I am very anxious that you should know something about the history of Jesus Christ. For everyone ought to know about him. No one ever lived who was so good, so kind, so gentle, and so sorry for all people who did wrong. That was Dickens' introduction. Here is his conclusion. Remember, it is Christianity to do good always, even to those who do evil to us. It is Christianity to love our neighbor as ourselves and to do to all men as we would have them do to us. It is Christianity to be gentle, merciful, and forgiving, and to keep those qualities quiet in our own hearts and never make a boast of them, 
or of our prayers or of our love of God, but always to show that we love him by humbly trying to do right in everything. If we do this and remember the life and lessons of our Lord Jesus Christ and try to act up to them, we may confidently hope that God will forgive us our sins and mistakes and enable us to live and die in peace. As Dickens wrote, the life and lessons of our Lord Jesus Christ lead us to peace. The Apostle Paul called our Savior's teachings the gospel of peace. The word peace has different meanings in the scriptures. When Jesus said, peace be unto you, he apparently described the kind of peace the prophet Isaiah declared, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. The Savior fulfilled that prophecy. He explained, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In his final instructions, the Lord Jesus Christ told his apostles, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Soon after that, in his visit to the righteous in the new world, the Savior quoted these words of Isaiah, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. What our Savior taught about peace in our lives as individuals also applies to peace in a family, peace in a nation, and peace in the world. The Savior and his apostles had no program for world peace other than individual righteousness. They mounted no opposition to the rule of Rome or to the regime of its local tyrants. They preached individual righteousness and taught that the children of God should love their enemies and live peaceably with all men. War and conflict are the result of wickedness. Peace is the product of righteousness. The blessings of the gospel are universal, and so is the formula for peace. Keep the commandments of God. President Howard W. Hunter taught this, The peace for which the world longs is a time of suspended hostilities. But men do not realize that peace is a state of existence that comes to man only upon the terms and conditions set by God and in no other way. If we look to man and the ways of the world, we will find turmoil and confusion. If we will but turn to God, we will find peace for the restless soul. This peace shelters us from the worldly turmoil. End of quote. In modern revelation we read, But learn that he who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Peace is our Savior's promise, and peace is our goal. This promised peace is the sense of well-being and serenity 
that comes from keeping his commandments. President Spencer W. Kimball said, Peace is the fruit of righteousness. It cannot be bought with money and cannot be traded nor bartered. It must be earned. End of quote. We sing, Sweet is the peace the gospel brings. And in another great hymn, we join in singing this melodic prayer. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. We cannot have peace among nations without achieving general righteousness among the people who comprise them. In the troubled years of World War II, Elder John A. Widso taught this. The only way to build a peaceful community is to build men and women who are lovers and makers of peace, each individual by that doctrine of Christ and His Church holds in his own hands the peace of the world. That makes me responsible for the peace of the world and makes you individually responsible for the peace of the world. The responsibility cannot be shifted to someone else." About 30 years later, another church leader, Eldred G. Smith, taught that same truth. If each person would have peace within his soul, then there would be peace in the family. If there is peace in each family, then there is peace in the nation. If there is peace in the nations, there is peace in the world. Let us not just sing, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, but let us mean it. Make it my goal, your goal." One of my favorite Christmas stories was published in the Deseret News over 30 years ago. It tells of an 11-year-old girl and what she learned through her anguish about not receiving a desired gift and her peace at learning the meaning of what we celebrate by gifts at Christmas time. I share this especially for the children and youth among us. An 11-year-old girl was grieving because she had not received the new doll she wanted for so long. Trying to give comfort, her mother said, You're outgrowing things like that. Had she really outgrown Christmas? Her daughter wondered. Her father explained, My dear, dear little girl, there's so much pain and joy in growing up. No, child, you haven't outgrown Christmas. Something far more important is happening to you. You are growing up to realize that many things have deeper and more significant meanings than as a child you are able to understand. You've heard it said that we give gifts on Christmas because the shepherds and wise men brought gifts to the Christ child. But let me tell you of the real first Christmas gift. Her father then testified of the great love our Heavenly Father had for his eldest son, who had been loyal to him through much trouble and rebelling, and who had even helped him create the world on which we live. He told her how our Heavenly Father had given us that son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. He read from the Book of Mormon how this Son shall come down from heaven among the children of men and shall dwell in a tabernacle of clay, and lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, 
hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and abominations of his people. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth. Closing the book, he explained, Even though our Father in heaven knew these things were in store for his beloved Son, he, in his infinite love and wisdom, gave him to the world. And the second part of this wondrous gift is that Christ, the Son, knowing too all this, gave himself willingly that we might have eternal life. Years later, the woman who grew from this little girl wrote these words. That was the first Christmas night I could remember that I didn't go to sleep with my Christmas doll on my pillow. I had something better. Within my heart was a new and thrilling peace. I'd found a gift that could not be worn out or lost, a gift that I could never grow out of, but one that with God's help I must grow into. And I prayed that someday I would have real children, and then I would know the rest of the gift of love. I close with President Russell M. Nelson's teaching at last year's First Presidency Christmas devotional. Jesus Christ is God's transcendent gift, the gift of the Father to all of his children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I pray that eternal truth will permeate all we do at this Christmas season. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to a rebroadcast of a First Presidency devotional from 2019 on Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of spiritual focus and recentering on what matters most. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.